0: Good morning can you hear me can you hear me now good morning the scripture today a lovely scripture is taken from the book of Philippians uh, chapter 1 and I'll be reading from verses 1 to 11 if you'd like to follow along please feel free to do so it's on page 6 of the bulletin Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God for every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this,
1: Buenos días, la lectura esta mañana es de la Carta a los Filipenses, primer capítulo, primeros once versículos. Pablo y Timoteo, siervos de Cristo Jesús, a todos los santos en Cristo Jesús que están en Filipos, junto con los obispos y diáconos, que Dios nuestro Padre y Señor Jesucristo les concedan gracia y paz. Doy gracias a mi Dios cada vez que me acuerdo de ustedes. En todas mis oraciones por todos ustedes, siempre oro con alegría porque han participado en el Evangelio desde el primer día hasta ahora. Estoy convencido de esto, que el, el que comenzó ta, tan buena obra en ustedes la irá perfeccionando hasta el día de Cristo Jesús. Es justo que yo piense así de todos ustedes porque los llevo en el corazón pues ya sea que me encuentre preso o defendiendo y confirmando el Evangelio, todos ustedes participan conmigo de la gracia que Dios me ha dado. Dios es testigo de cuánto los quiero a todos con el entrañable amor de Cristo Jesús. Esto es lo que pido en oración, que el amor de ustedes abunde cada vez más en conocimiento y en buen juicio, para que disiernan lo que es mejor y sean puros y y irreprochables para el día de Cristo fruto de justicia que se produce por medio de Jesucristo para la gloria de Thank
2: you brothers. We just finished up a teaching series on the topic of generosity and we worked through that for several weeks together finished up last week and so now today we're starting a new series on the book of Philippians the book of Philippians. So let me say a word of prayer before we take a quick look at this. We don't have a lot of time, uh, but it'll be good just to open it up and get us rolling here. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word, that you're a God who speaks, you're a God who communicates, you're a God who reveals himself. So would you illuminate your word, shine a light On it, in our hearts, that we would know you and see you and know how to follow you. I do pray that you would not let my weaknesses get in the way of the hearing of your word from your people. And so send your spirit in every way that we need him. And be honored and be glorified in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the weekend, I found myself surrounded, at one point, by tourists. As you might expect, uh, they were taking a lot of pictures. That's pretty normal, uh, pretty typical. I mean, you know, that's probably way up there on the list of characteristic, you know, classic, classic characteristics of D.C., Right? You know, lots of tourists, lots of cameras, right up there with, you know, lots of lawyers, lots of frustrated sports fans, right? That sort of thing. But one thing that did stand out to me as unfamiliar, as new, was how many people, when taking pictures, were using a selfie stick. It's become a new thing, huh? In case you don't know, maybe you don't a selfie stick is a a sort of rod where you attach your camera or your phone to the end of it so that you can take a picture with you and your friends and so that the camera is way out in the distance and at an angle where maybe someone else who might have been taking the picture for you might have been standing except now you don't need that other person you can do it all by yourself And I was sort of chuckling with Paula as I was noticing all the different selfie sticks in our midst. Uh, Have we become so committed to our practical independence that we don't even want to ask other people to take pictures for us anymore? Is that really what's become of us? Is that an amen over here? And I'll be the first to admit, you know, that it can get sort of awkward interrupting strangers, you know, excuse me, would you mind taking a picture, right? I'm not really knocking on selfie sticks themselves. I might get one myself one day. But I think it's worth thinking for a second. Could it be true or or isn't it true that we live in a world that is more committed to enabling our independence or at least our perception of our own independence more than ever before uh, isn't it true that we live in a world that's also more starved for personal connection than any ever before we live in a world that is more confused about community and relationships than ever before. Which brings us to today's passage, the first in our new series, in the book of Philippians. You may or may not know that Philippians, now a book in the New Testament, was originally a a letter. Who was the letter from? Well, as verse one tells us, it was written by the apostle Paul and Timothy, the young pastor that he had been mentoring. Who was the letter to? Uh, to the Christians in Philippi. We also see that in the first verse there. The Christians in Philippi, which was a Roman colony in Macedonia in the northeast region of ancient Greece. As we learn in Acts chapter 16, around the year A.D. 50, Paul and Timothy went to Philippi, and there they shared the good news about Jesus for the first time ever in that city they baptized the first converts, they helped start up a church in Philippi. They got attacked, they got beaten, imprisoned, then kicked out of the city for preaching this strange new religion. Meanwhile, the Philippian Christian community kept in touch. They had a very close relationship with the Apostle Paul. In fact, now, ten years later, the Apostle is writing this letter, partly to thank the Philippians for an especially generous gift that they had just sent him. And as he thanks them in this letter, he also encourages them in their faith, as he writes on a whole variety of topics and themes, like joy in the midst of adversity, uh, like the hope of heaven, like the transforming power of knowing Christ, or the importance of Christian character, the possibility of contentment. Can't wait to get to that topic in several weeks. And of course, the importance of relationships and community. You see, the grace of God makes you care about people. The book of Philippians not only teaches this, it models it. It's one of the most richly personal books in the entire New Testament. It oozes with relational energy, even right from the start of the body of this letter in verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul thanks God for the Philippians. Paul remembers the Philippians. Paul prays for the Philippians. Paul finds joy in the Philippians. But why? Why the joy? What exactly is it that Paul is so thankful for? Why do the Philippian Christians lift up his heart so much? Well, he tells us right there in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel. Partnership in the gospel. That word translated partnership It can also be translated fellowship. It's one of the most important words in Paul's vocabulary to describe Christian relationships. It appears six times in the book, twice even in this passage alone. It doesn't just mean hanging out with your buddies. It doesn't mean just sort of circulating around people that you see at church. You may not know this word, Greek koinonia, here translated partnership, in Paul's day, was the normal word for a business partnership. The idea isn't that as Christians you're conducting yourselves as business types in your relations, but rather that you... Because of Jesus and all that you share in common together, you are partners. You are stakeholders. You are investors, putting in and pulling together your resources, working together for a common goal. Sharing in the responsibilities and sharing in the benefits. The grace of God makes us joyful in this kind of partnership that we share with other Christians. This is the kind of relationship that Christians are to share with one another. This is the kind of relationship that we're to invite and draw other people into. And Paul thanks God for three aspects of this partnership, which we're going to look at very briefly, quickly. Partnership in mission, partnership in affection, and partnership in personal transformation. So first, partnership in mission. You see it right there in the second half of verse 7. Paul says, whether I'm in chains. You know, he was actually writing from prison at this time. Imprisoned, imprisoned, persecuted for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. You share in God's grace. It's actually the same word as the word translated partnership. He's talking about doing the practical things of the gospel together. Uh, suffering together, defending the truth of Jesus, As confirming the gospel, meaning seeing the gospel take root and show up in real life, in people's real lives. He's talking about all the ways in which the Philippians have partnered with him in caring for him. We find out later in chapter 4, verse 15, Paul says, No one, no one, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. In chapters 2 and 4, we hear about Epaphroditus being sent From the Philippians to Paul, carrying a a generous gift and meeting Paul's different practical, material, and physical needs. When Paul talks about the gospel and the partnership of the gospel throughout this letter, he talks about it as a joint work of the gospel. So not just friendship and companionship, but partnership in a mission such that he talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus and two women named Euodia and Syntyche, he says, who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. He calls them co-workers, loyal yoke fellow. Partnership in Christ, partnership in the gospel, relationships as Christians means partnership in mission together. To be invited into a relationship that is heading somewhere and working towards something much larger than yourselves called the kingdom of God. Everything changes in our relationships when we love each other in the context of mission. The grace of God helps us to see that we are but characters in a bigger story, God's story. That even our relationships are part of a bigger story, too. And Christian relationships, friends, work best when God's love, his gospel, rather than our love, is at the center of our relationships. When the relationship itself is not ultimately just about me, or even about us. Partnership in mission. C.S. Lewis, the English writer, he's so right when he says that the worst kind of friends actually, maybe surprisingly, are the kind of friends who are only looking for friends. (laughs) Almost needing it too much and needing you too much and therefore killing you for it. The best kind of friends, on the other hand, are the ones that are looking with you to something larger than you. And there's no greater thing. Then the great thing of the gospel to be gazing at and to be pursuing together. Of course, this itself builds intimacy. Many of you have experienced this. You're working on a common project together or maybe you go on a short-term mission trip. You're really busy and if it's a healthy sort of team maybe you're surprised to find that some of your deepest bonds were formed when you spent time with people whose attention were fixed on something else besides yourself (laughs) surprisingly deep friendship deep community was formed when it wasn't about you but rather a common purpose true gospel relationships are concerned about the needs of gospel mission both in words and in deeds, communicating to people the realities of Christ, living it out, seeing lives change, seeing neighborhoods and cities changed, not only with our words but also with our deeds, extending hands of compassion, being the feet and the faces of Jesus in the way that we love people, picking up suffering people, those that are downcast, shining the light of Christ in darkness whether neighborhoods of darkness or blocks of darkness or the darkness of our individual hearts. True gospel relationships are concerned most of all with the needs of gospel mission, not just the needs of myself. Paul says, this is actually one of the key roots of my joy in this friendship. Friends, do you want joy in your relationship in your fellowship with other Christians you want joy in your neighborhood groups in your mom's groups in your dad's fellowships in your friendships over coffee and food do you want abounding delight like Paul shows here in these opening words in the letter then partner and work together in gospel mission number two partnership in affection partnership in affection lest we think that partnership in mission means working together like robots no 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 check this out Paul is drippy with emotion in the way that he's talking to the Philippians verse 3 I thank my God every time I remember you Every time I remember you, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Uh, You're always on my mind, is what he's saying. In verse 7, he says with deep emotion, I, I have you, I hold you in my heart. Some of us would almost be embarrassed to talk this way to one another. Verse 8, God can testify, so I ain't kidding around, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this word here, translated affection, we actually looked at it last week. There translated compassion, literally it's the word for bowels. (laughs) I'm feeling you in my gut. I carry you right here. You're a part of who I am. Philippians 4-1, there Paul says a similar sort of thing. Therefore, my brothers, my sisters, whom I love, whom I long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This isn't just Paul being a sap. This is him echoing And extending the very heart of God he says how I long for you with the affection of what my own heart my own feelings no the affection of Christ all that I have experienced from Christ and all that I know that he has set upon you in his love and favor and forgiving kindness This is God's heart for you. I'm entering into the river of God's affection poured into your life and just swimming downstream together with your Savior right into your soul. Do you hold people in your heart? Some of us, even if you've been in the church and maybe even this church for a long time and maybe you're even a covenanted member and you say you're holding on on one level and that might be true but some of us don't pe- hold people in our hearts we maybe are holding people in our hands sort of using and manipulating you know it's sort of a a practical relationship when i have needs i'll reach out but otherwise i don't or maybe some of us hold people in our heads we like the idea of a friend or you're, you're a great person to be with, sort of, in my head, but just not too close, not too often, and certainly not too needy. Does the grace of God draw you into holding people in your heart so that they are always on your minds? Do people pop into your minds throughout the day or throughout the week? Do they emerge in your prayers? Do they give you joy and delight when they do? And if your answer is no and maybe you have relationships where you're feeling distant or disconnected One of the best ways that you can actually cultivate this is what Paul, in fact, had been doing all along, praying for them. He has affection not just in his prayers for them always, he has affection for them also because of his prayers for them always. You cannot pray for someone consistently and over time and with deep earnestness of heart and not fall in love with God's work In their life and not feel them in your bowels as it were carrying them within you if you feel distant or disconnected pray for them don't pray for affection pray for them and love them before the lord again paul calls us to partnership and mission but it's not a dispassionate mission where we care more about ideas or goals than people. It's a mission that calls us into the lives of people. Uh, Paul is calling us to a real kind of partnership, not just a utilitarian, hey, we'll just get on past people onto the real business of God. The Bible knows no such separation between the mission of God and the people of God. Partnership in mission and in affection and thirdly and lastly partnership and personal transformation so often what we find in the church today is a commitment to mission and a wonderful call to loving and serving neighbor in many ways the american church is being awakened rightly biblically to caring for those around us and outside of us and we need to persevere in that One thing a passage like this reminds us of is that the Bible's priority is not only your effectiveness of service, but also the maturity of your soul. God doesn't just care about the usefulness of your hands, but the maturity of your heart. He cares about changed lives, not just because of you, but in you. Paul says, I thank my God for you. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel. Verse 6, being confident that God is at work in you, not just through you. Look at verse 9. Here Paul closes this paragraph praying for the spiritual growth of the Philippians. He's praying for their progress in the gospel, and this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God we don't have time to dive into this super deeply but notice Paul is ultimately praying that we grow in love His partnership entails a longing for growth in love, love for God and love for other people. But he also says that this growth in love will only grow if we abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Seeing the realities of God, knowing who God is, understanding how to love and whom to love, growing in wisdom, it takes knowledge, it takes maturity to know how to love well. And as we love well, Paul says, we grow in moral discernment, too. We're able to discern what's best. We actually grow in being pure and blameless until the day of Christ. He says, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Paul says this partnership is about you becoming more like Jesus. About you growing in all the ways in which Jesus shows the true way to love. Not love as we make it up in our own heads or as we decide to define it, but as God defines it. Because God is love. So we turn to him to show us how to do it. In costly ways. In true ways. In biblical ways. And this is why Paul says he is in partnership with the Philippians too. You see, he's not just using them for this mission passing right through them and hey, thanks for the help and let's move on here. He loves them. He loves their growth and maturity and will you note his love for them includes their spiritual transformation. Do you love your Christian friends enough to really dig in to some area of spiritual growth that really needs to happen in your friend's life? Or do you sort of just maybe do Bible study once in a while and maybe pray, but for the most part, you just kind of live and let live, and you're not really invested, you're not really a stakeholder in each other's souls? Paul doesn't look past this. He really seeks out the long term until Jesus returns growth of the Philippians. And his great hope, of course, is that at the end of the day, God is the one that assures that it's going to happen. Because he who began a good work in you will indeed carry it onto completion until the day of Christ. He's going to do that work. The end is sure, the victory is won, so work, partner, labor, dig in, love, it changes the way we relate to each other, doesn't it? It means there's no place in being attentive to how you're operating in mission without being attentive to each other's souls. It means not excusing personal failures for the sake of public justice and righteousness. It means caring for the whole person and the whole and the totality of God's mission, which is not just to transform this world, but to save sinners and to save them through and through, not only from the penalty of sin, but from the power and ultimately the presence of sin and evil and injustice in this world and in our own lives and communities. The comprehensive mission of God expressed in our relationships. So it's worth asking, do your Christian friendships exist at least in part for your brother and sisters perseverance and progress in faith. I mean, you know what I mean? Do, are you, do you say to yourself, I am here so that you will grow. I exist in this relationship for a number of reasons, but one of them and one of the most important ones is so that you might become more like Jesus. That's why I'm here. When was the last time you said that to a Christian friend? Or maybe more than saying it, that you lived it. And so maybe it means not avoiding that hard conversation. Or maybe it means not skirting around that flaw that everyone in the community knows about in that person's life, but everyone's too afraid to say anything about Maybe it means lovingly just being present and walking with a person in their suffering. Maybe it means any number of ways in which we can invested be invested in each other's maturity. But do we understand we are most being a friend to one another, a gospel friend, a partner in Christ when we exist to help each other become more pure and blameless and in love with Jesus and other people around us until the day of Christ which means we ought to be on the lookout even today as soon as we say goodbye to be on the lookout for people to encourage be on the lookout for for people to to bless to promote faith in, to help them to find a, just a little bit more of God and His gospel and His grace and His truth. To come to church looking for opportunities, to walk the streets of our neighborhood praying that God will open doors for you to bless and encourage and to stimulate the maturity of God's saints. We live like this and pray like this. And relate like this, maybe just maybe we'll have a little bit of a taste of that great joy that the Apostle here shares with the Philippians and with us. That perhaps if we can grow by the grace of Christ in partnership and mission and in affection and in this goal of personal transformation, maybe God will be kind to give us fresh gratitude for each other, new joy in each other, partnership. Partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's live it and let's pray for it. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would come and give us more of Jesus, not just individually, but collectively. And we pray that you would make our relationships more like this. That you would make the journey itself a a joy. That you would honor yourself through our friendships. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and let's sing. Amen. Hey. take a seat. I want to pause just for a minute to see if you have any questions about the teaching today. We like to do a little Q&A as just part of our learning process. And so uh, if you're brand new, you're welcome to jump on in. But if you have a question about anything, anything's fair game, uh, we'd love to answer it. If you could ask a question, that'll help our flow, our back and forth, uh, but also word it in a way that's helpful for everyone, regardless of spiritual backgrounds. Yeah, John.
3: yeah: Yeah
2: I mean I think um, w- one thing one thing that's great about the generation that we're in is that there's this high value of trust and authenticity. Um, so people want to be honest and people want to be real but sometimes i think it makes us a little choosy about who we're real with we're too particular about hey we need to really 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 have walked in trust together and of course some of that's true but i do think we need to push ourselves more uh... that i need to be more okay with bearing my weakness with people that i know well enough but because we're united in christ i can Trust you a little bit more and so to share about something that I'm struggling with or an area of sin right or an area of selfishness or some area that I I don't know where to turn for so whether if that's in neighborhood groups or if that's in uh, a coffee time or you know you're hanging out with someone I would love for more of us to say in the middle of a conversation hey you know what could you help me out with something here or, or can I share something with you? And sure, maybe it feels a little awkward at first, but you're pushing through it because you're actually being real with each other and receiving grace from each other. I would say the same thing about confrontation as well, that it has to be done gently and respectfully, but I promise you, more than we do it now. <laughs> uh, just generally modern Christians in this country, well, I mean, it really depends on where you're at. Some places are too good at it, right? Um, but, you know, for the most part, uh, we tend to be gun-shy when, yeah, of course we have to have trust, and we have to do it humbly, and we have to do it respectfully, but we do need to be able to say, can I talk to you about something? And give people a chance to respond. And. Maybe take a different viewpoint or whatever, uh, but to actually have some of those hard conversations. So I know I'm not spelling it out with specific concrete detail, but would love to hear, you know, at some point, John, your thoughts or other people's thoughts on how we can grow in that. It's a good thought. Yeah, Asia. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.